Good morning. Merry Christmas, everybody. Y'all doing well? Awesome. Um, we're going to just pick up in the book of Philippians this morning, and we're going to be just in three passages in the book of Philippians, and it's still going to take me two hours to get through them. So uh, <laughs> why don't you turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 through 11, and let's, let's start there this morning. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What an amazing passage. Even as we're sitting there singing that, that last song, like how great thou art, and listening to you guys' voices like scream out that chorus, for me, I just get this image of like the exaltation of Jesus. Like what an amazing Thing that we're taking part of in praising the Lord and exalting him and lifting his name up, the name above all names. Would you pray with me? We'll get into the text this morning. Jesus, I thank you for the awesome privilege we have to gather under your name this morning. Jesus, when we are in a season in our world, in our families, in relationships, God, where um, it seems like there's so much swirling around us, there's so much vying for our hearts and our attention and our minds, and yet, Jesus, this morning we gather here to exalt you as the one that takes precedence over all the other voices, all the other noises. Jesus, I pray this morning as we open up your word, we do the best we can to walk through it, that you'd use this time this morning, Jesus, to point us back to, uh, as cliche as it sounds, the reason for the season. God, I'm praying that this morning we would really understand what it means to exalt your name, to lift you up as the name above all names, Jesus. And so we devote this time to you. God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would just seal this time, bless it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So this last week as I was kind of thinking through this passage, um, I was realizing that this Christmas is going to be my 44th Christmas. 44th Christmas. Yeah, some of you are like, that's nothing. Some of you are like, dang, he's old. Uh, 44th Christmas. And I was, as I was reflecting on 44 Christmases, you know, a few of which I have no recollection of at all, um, as I was reflecting on those, I was realizing, you know, there are some Christmases in there that were really magical, like Christmases that were amazing experiences, things that you will never forget. But it's also tethered with seasons in life and Christmases that were really difficult, right? Like you have some, you think back to some of your childhood memories and you realize like, man, our, our, our family would go to church on Christmas Eve. And I remember the traditions. Um, my, my mom comes from a Swedish background. And so it was like lutefisk and lefse and amazing Swedish food that we loved as little kids, you know? But you, you, we remember back on these traditions. And I I love the traditions that we have. I love the memories that I have of the Christmases that I enjoyed as a child. But then you get older and you realize that those Christmases are also tethered with Christmases that were really hard. Christmases where, you know, my mom was battling cancer. Christmases where my wife's mom was, was sick. Christmases after my wife lost her mom that were really, really difficult. And you realize that those holidays, you know, there's these magical moments, these, these real highs, and they're tethered with these Christmases that are really difficult. 
And as I was thinking about the year that we're coming out of in 2020, 2021, I guess, yeah? Um, it's all blurred to me in the last two and a half years. Um, but as I was thinking about like com- coming out of this last year, um, it, it, it's really interesting because if you're on social media or anything right now, it's like I, what I see is a lot of people posting things that are really funny. And it's almost like we want to post things funny and we want to be cynical in order to kind of make ourselves feel better about where we're at now. You know, hopefully things won't be as bad as they were. Hopefully we're moving on, and so we'll make ourselves feel better by being funny, like to try to force these moments for ourselves to make ourselves feel better. And, and, and so now, even going into next year, like there's, there's pastors who I know today shut their churches down across the country as a result of this upcoming variant. And so in some cities, there's a whole scare of like, what's next? Will it be like last time? What does 2022 hold for us? Is it the same as 2020? Like, we hope that 2021 was the respite from that, where we were creating some distance and somewhat normalizing. And then now there, there, there's the fear in some that this whole thing could come back or that we're going to be, again, back to where we were. But my thought this week was like, what if God in his sovereign plan has this way for you and I to redeem this Christmas season, no matter what it is that's going on? What, what if that is his plan? What if there's the opportunity before you and I to have literally the most memorable Christmas ever? Um, what if there's the opportunity to not throw this Christmas away or to just get through or to allow ourselves to be bogged down by everything swirling around us, but to actually enjoy and understand the value of the season that we're going in? And I don't know what's going on in each of your hearts this morning, um, but, but for all of us, I know there's something going on. There's something that we're very thoughtful of. There's something that we're worried about. There's something that we may have a little bit fear of. There, there's most of us in this room that feel as though our lives maybe are a bit upended, but what if there's something deeper that God is doing in this moment for us? What if we were coming into this Christmas season as sort of like a blank canvas and just ready for something new? And that's my hope, and that's been my prayer. Last week, I was having this moment in my office where I picked up this book, and it's written by an author that I like. His name is Tim Keller. Some of you have probably read his stuff or listened to him. And um, I had picked up this book a few years ago that he wrote called Hidden Christmas. And I was sitting in my office, and I had this book open, and I had a candle lit in my office. I know I'm going to get super mushy on y'all. I had a candle lit in my office, some worship music playing in the background. I'm reading this book. I'm looking outside the window in my office um, at the amazing like, scenery of the area that we live. And it was this moment for me of just this quick thought of this respite. Because what I know that's actually occurring is outside that window in my office is that there's a world falling apart. There's a bunch of heartache, people's lives that feel upended, and here I am in this moment, sitting in my office, realizing that God is actually meeting me in that place, and realizing despite everything that's going on outside of that window, I'm able to enjoy his rest and his peace and his presence with me in my office in that moment for that specific time. And I realized for me, like, what what a privilege that is. Like, what an amazing privilege it is as followers of Jesus to have those moments where we can remove ourselves from what's actually happening, to focus on what he's actually doing within us, the offer that he's actually 
giving us. And so this was a, an amazing moment for me. Um, the, the last couple of weeks, we've been talking through Philippians 1 and 2. And last week, we painted this picture um, that, of Jesus as this humble servant. And today, we're going to be focusing on these three verses in 9 through 11. But I think we're going to have to do, uh, we're going to have a bit of trouble being able to really grasp what it is the Apostle Paul is saying in this text. Because in my opinion, one of the things we're going to have to overcome is this tendency that you and I have to sort of um, see things as flat and see things as linear, see things as sort of two-dimensional. Because we don't understand how it makes sense to contrast these positions of like a, a humble, like humble glory. Like the, and, and so in our culture, like the way that we communicate, we don't like these things, these things that are contrasted, humble, glory. Like, how does that even make sense? How do we have a baby in a manger that's actually God? How, do, how does God himself step down from heaven to be part of us, to live this life as a human being, to die this brutal, like, how is he still God, and how is he exalted, and how is he still glorified when he takes this place as a servant? Because in our culture, that's not how we treat contrasting perspectives, is it? Like, in our culture, if, if my view of COVID is different than yours, then many people don't know how to accept that. And so we live in a world of polarizations. You're either on one side or the other. Many people don't know how to love and, and respect and accept others that have contrary views. But this is our challenge. And so when we come to Scripture, we have to be able to read Scripture with some sort of depth. We have to actually be able to meditate on it. Like, God is both merciful and God is just. Like, how is that even possible that he's merciful and just? How do we reconcile that in our hearts? Like, in some ways, we actually do know how to reconcile this because my wife, for instance, if you were to ask her, she would tell you that there are days where she both loves me and I drive her crazy, aren't there? She's not in here to uh, amen that one. There's days where she loves me to death, but I also drive her crazy. And if you're married or you have kids or you have pets, you know that the, 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 the thing that you love most sometimes drives you nuts at the same time. And so how do we put that together? How do we make sense of that? And so I want us to be able to read this passage with the depth that I think it's supposed to be read with and not just read it at face value because this is three verses that if you've grown up in the church or been around it at all, you've heard this over and over again. And my fear for us is that we hear about Jesus being exalted and being the name above all names. And what we do is categorize it as stuff we've already heard, but it's not powerful enough to actually transform us in our offices, in the midst of the chaos of our lives, to receive the peace and the joy and the hope of Jesus himself this morning. And God's intention with his word for you and I was that you would meditate on it, that, that you would actually let his word sink deep into your hearts, that you would wrestle with it. Uh, if Renee's in this room, she'll hate this, but that you chew on it, you know, like how many of you hate that adage that you chew on the words, you know? But he wants us to meditate on it, to chew on it, to wrestle with it. And so if we're to have this meaningful Christmas season, we're going to be able to, we're, we're going to need to be able to think a little bit deeper. We have to think a little bit more three-dimensionally instead of this linear thinking that won't allow these contrasting perspectives to actually exist in one. And so every year we read a passage like Luke chapter 2 for Christmas, and it's this picture of humble glory, Right? 
Luke chapter 2, I'll just read verses 8 through 14. It says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And I want you, actually close your eyes, and I want you to just paint this picture in your, in your minds. Keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who's Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was, the, 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 there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. What an amazing passage. Like how watered down is our worship of Jesus sometimes because for us it's the three songs we just sing. Like that's our worship. What does it mean that the Magi came to worship this baby Jesus? Were they singing top 40 worship songs from our day to Jesus in the manger and that was their worship? They were bringing something. They were making a statement. They were acknowledging him as more than just this baby laying in a manger. It was this amazing picture of humble glory. Like you have this angel and behind this angel you have a multitude of angels, like what that would have looked like in, this, in the, the night sky. Like it would have been so bright. It would have been loud with all of them singing and the, the, the majesty, the, the volume, the, the drama. And then it's sort of contrasted with the fact that there's this Hebrew baby with a teenage mom at a time of, of, of political unrest in their culture and they're on the run. And then you've got Mary and Joseph. They aren't even married and talk about humble glory. This is our God. And I think we need to be able to let that sink in. Like, think about this alongside this passage in Philippians 2, 9, humble glory. It, it, it seems appropriate then that the Hebrew baby in a manger with angels praising God for him would be referred to as this humble servant in Philippians 2, but then also in verse 9 that his name is highly exalted. My question is, like, does it matter that Jesus' name is highly exalted and placed over every, every other name? Does it really matter? And actually, I think that's the hope for Christmas, that it is. It does matter, because Jesus actually didn't stay in the manger, right? He didn't stay this little Hebrew baby boy, like, in super uncertain times, but he grew up, right? And he had to encounter all the things that you and I did. Jesus had to deal with work. He was a carpenter. He was trained to do carpentry. He, was, he would have hammered his fingers and he would have dealt with pain. He would have had to deal with loss and disappointment. And the Bible even tells us that he was tempted in every way, but that Jesus grew up and that he was perfect and that Jesus was sinless. And then he died on a cross in our place for our sins and he paid the price to God the Father for our sin, but, but it was for those that will believe that he actually is the hope of Christmas. Because any problem that, that you've got or that I have, any issues that we see that are wrong or that are broken in this world, like at the risk of being like way too simplistic, the thing behind the problem is what? It's sin, which he came to deal with. Like there's brokenness in this world because of sin. 
And it's the sin that we deal with with one another. It's, it's the sinfulness, the brokenness in our own hearts. Jesus, in verse 9, was given this name because he conquered sin in hell and death. This is why there's hope that whatever you and I are navigating right now, because of Jesus, there's actually something better coming. And so I want to just unpack this verse, these verses real quick with three simple points. First point is this. One, that Jesus' humility reflects God's heart. And here's what I think I know about humanity, is that for the most part, we're skeptical people, aren't we? We're really skeptical we're sort of trained to think the worst of people. Like I could go down to Sherman Avenue right now with a $50 bill in my hand and give it to somebody and say, here, I just want to give you this. And what are they going to say to me? What's the catch? Nobody just gives out $50 bills. Like, why are you giving out $50 bills? We're suspicious. In most instances, even I find myself when I'm texting people and I'll say, hey, do you want to meet up tomorrow at like three o'clock? They're like, why do you want to meet? Uh, Can we just hang out? Like, in their minds, there's got to be a reason. Like, nobody just does that. Nobody's just nice. (laughs) Nobody just wants to be a friend. We're just always skeptical. And here's the deal. If we're going to let the whole message of Christmas really sink in, and the whole message be absorbed into our hearts to the point that there's this sort of transcendent experience beyond the catastrophes that we've all experienced in the last two years. We have to actually know why God would ever send Jesus to this earth. So many people will say, like, what's the catch? What's the catch? What does he want out of me? What's God looking for from me? And I can give stock answers like, John 3.16, like, God loves you. 1 John 4, like, God is love. Basically, you go, like, I checked the boxes, and I told them exactly what they needed to think. Like, I just told them the reason why God would send Jesus to the earth, because he loves you. But many would still say, what's the catch? It sounds way too good to be true. And the reality is that many do not read and meditate on his word, allow it to sink in. But when you trust the source... It makes it easier to trust what the source is actually saying is actually true. Like we can only trust God and that God loves us because we trust and know who it is that God is. When my wife says to me that she loves me, I believe her because I know and I trust my wife that what she's saying is true. And so what do we know of God and why can we trust that God loves us? Because in passages like Philippians 2 We see that God isn't just a a, a God telling us that he loves us, but that he actually demonstrates his love for us, both in his life as a man, in his death on our behalf, in his resurrection and the power he offers us through his resurrection power. Like Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus was and is God. And that even as God, he humbled himself and he emptied himself. He set aside his desires in order to do what was best for us. Like as God, Is that not just insane? Second thing is that Jesus' humility, it's a catalyst for us. Like Jesus' humility was a catalyst for God, like for God glorifying Jesus. Like it was his humility that got him exalted. Like his humility was this catalyst for God exalting him into us. Like that would make absolutely zero sense. 
It's backwards. But look at the progression of Jesus' humility. Verse 6, so Jesus, being in, the, being in the form of God, so Jesus was God in heaven, he empties himself, verse 7, by taking on the form of a servant. So there's this notch down, right? He empties himself by taking on the form of a servant. Jesus steps out of heaven by becoming flesh, by becoming incarnate, and then he lowers himself. And, and it says he humbles himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, he didn't just humble himself. That wasn't the extent of it. Jesus actually kept humbling himself. He kept humbling himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then our text in verse 9, it says, therefore, God has highly exalted him. And so therefore, working backwards, right? Whatever just happened is the reason why God highly exalted him. Therefore, it says that, because Jesus humbled himself to the point that he did, that God highly exalts him. And, and so I, I want to try to do justice to this text, but I know that I'll come up short. So when it says that God highly exalted him, Jesus, we sort of need to stop there and, and stop thinking so linearly, like so two-dimensionally, that this word highly exalted is actually a really unique phrase. The word highly is implying sort of this dramatic emphasis on the word exalted and highly exalted together. It's almost these two words coming together to bring a new definition for this word. He wasn't just exalted. Jesus was actually highly exalted. In the English, we do this sort of thing um, with words like over and over again. Well, well like the, the word over, right? We'll add the word over to other words to create emphasis on that word, right? So if something is cooked too long, what do we say? It's overcooked. It's cooked, but it's overcooked. Like, it, we emphasize that. And this is what he's saying is Jesus isn't just exalted. Jesus is highly exalted. Like, above anything else, he's highly exalted. He exalted him to literally the highest position, to the highest possible degree. And so how high was Jesus exalted? Well, verse 9 says, he bestowed upon him the name that is above what? Every name. That's how high Jesus was exalted, that he is the name above every name. This is so cool. So like all throughout scripture, what God would do in the Old Testament and the New Testament is he would give names to himself, right? So you and I can sort of know and understand God better through these names that he's given. So for us, it sort of helps us understand his qualities, his characters, his attributes. And so there's names like Jehovah Jireh that are, that are thrown out. And in the Old Testament, it meant that God will provide. Jehovah Jireh, Jireh was one of his names. And so in the New Testament, Jesus has names that he goes by. We even see the word Emmanuel, the name Emmanuel. And Isaiah talks about this, and that word means what? It means God with us. It's another name ascribed to God. Do people go around calling him by those names? No, they call him Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Christ. But what God was saying was, I want to give a name to Jesus, one that actually references his qualities, his character, his attributes, one that helps you actually know him even better. Like you can understand him better, and so Jesus had these names. In John 8, Jesus is referred to as the light of the world. Did people walk around saying, Hey, light of the world, how are you doing? No. It was a name ascribed to him to help us understand more of his character, more of his attributes. John 10, Jesus is referred to as 
the good shepherd. John 15, Jesus is called the vine, and we're referred to as the branches. And so Jesus has these names, and God said that those names are great, but that he would actually bestow a name upon Jesus that would be above all other names. Like, this is the Christian message that Jesus did not stay in a manger, but Jesus grew up, and Jesus died, and then he rose from the dead, and in doing that, God highly exalts Jesus, and he bestows upon Jesus a new name, a name that is above all other names. And this new name is so glorious. This new name is so powerful that every knee in heaven and on earth and under earth will bow at his name. Everything will bow at his name. And so what is this name that he gets that every knee would bow and that every tongue would confess? What's the name? The text tells us that it's Jesus Christ is what? Lord is this name. The name he gets is Lord. So often in church, we're like, we, we refer to Jesus as Jesus Christ like it's his first and his last name, right? Jesus Christ. But they didn't really have last names like you and I. Like the closest might be like Jesus of Nazareth actually is more accurate. It's where he came from. And so here Jesus simply means Yahweh saves, the the name Jesus. But it was a common name for people in his day to have, the name Jesus. And so then Christ literally means the anointed one. And then you add the title Lord, and it's really hard for you and I to really gauge how big of a deal this actually is because the word Lord has been leaked into our vocabulary in so many different ways, right? Both appropriate and inappropriately. But, but this name Lord was this designation of deity for Jesus. Like it's this title that he has absolute authority. And that's why it says Jesus is king of kings and he's Lord of lords. That he's literally the king of all kings. That he is the Lord of all lords. That, that, that this is the name that God the Father gave Jesus because Jesus humbled himself. Like over and over again, not just once over and over again to the point of death on a cross. And because Jesus did that, he's glorified, he's exalted, he's given this authoritative name, and it carries so much weight that verse 10 says that people will bow their knees and verbally confess the name of Jesus. In heaven, on earth, and under earth. Like, what a loaded statement, right? Underline that in your Bible, in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. This is where the bowing of the knee is going to happen to the lordship of Jesus. That that means heavenly beings, like spirits, angels, demons, like everything is going to bow to Jesus. They're going to bow to the authority of Jesus. They're going to confess Jesus' lordship, that his name is exalted above all else. And it, ha- it hasn't happened yet, but it will. There's going to be a day, this day of reckoning, of judgment, when every demon will literally bow to the lordship of Jesus because it's the name above all names, as well as every earthly being, both in the past, the present, and the future, all over the world. There are people that have acknowledged Jesus as their Lord, and in doing so, what they've done is they've bowed their knee to him. They're, they're subjecting their will to Jesus' will. They're humbling themselves the way that Jesus did, and they're humbling themselves to Jesus, the Lord, and they're confessing with their mouths every single day that he is, in fact, Lord. He is highest of high. But not everybody on this earth has done that. 
Like there are plenty of people that have not yet bowed their knee on this earth, but one day they will. And that's the power behind this passage, right? Some of them will bow their knee in this life by choice to Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Some will confess him as Lord in this life. They will experience him as their savior, the only one that could save them. But the author of Hebrews says things like, it's appointed for each man to die, and then comes judgment. Like, what? That, that what we're seeing is that we, we have this opportunity right now to bow to Jesus' lordship in this life where we receive redemption, we receive forgiveness. But just so we're clear this morning, God's grace and forgiveness ends with our last breath. You have an opportunity on this earth right now to bow your knee and confess who he is, to be reconciled to God. And lastly, he says, for those under the earth, like those that have died. So those that have gone before us, there are some that have bowed the knee. There's some that have not bowed the knee. But in the afterlife, they're experiencing Jesus as a judge at some point. Everybody will bow their knee to Jesus. And this is the name that God gave to Jesus, highly exalted, like so high that every knee in heaven and earth and under earth will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And lastly, is that in Jesus' humility, we have a response. Like we do something with this. We, we have the opportunity every day to confess that Jesus is Lord. We have an opportunity every day to bow the knee to Jesus' lordship. And so if we truly want to have this Christmas experience that, that, that doesn't represent the issues of our day, what we've been through 20 and 20, uh, 2020 and 2021, but we want something deeper, you're sort of gonna have to forget about all your Christmas' experiences because they're sort of done and not happening. Like your ideal magical Christmas is shot because your ability to embrace Christmas with your cynicism isn't necessarily happening either, right? You have an opportunity to respond to the name of Jesus. That God the Father gave Jesus highly exalted, this highly exalted this name, Lord. And in doing that, you get the opportunity to allow yourself to experience the effects of his lordship. Like, how is that changing you? I, I, I had said earlier that I've gone through Christmas seasons that were harder than others. And, and that sometimes the circumstances that sort of surround our Christmas season put a damper on our Christmas. And my encouragement to you this morning is we have this amazing opportunity to lean in a little bit more, a little bit deeper, to almost lean into the aches that we feel, like to allow Jesus to reveal himself as exalted Lord to us. Um, I mentioned the, the book that I had been reading, Hidden Christmas by Tim Keller. I encourage you guys to get it and read it, but there's a portion of it where he says this. He says, Christmas, therefore, is the most unsentimental, realistic way of looking at life. It does not say cheer up if we all pull together so we can make the world a better place. The Bible never counsels indifference to the forces of darkness, only resistance, but it supports no illusions that we can defeat them ourselves. Christianity does not agree with the optimistic thinkers who say we can fix things if we try hard enough, 
nor does it agree with the pessimists who only see this dystopian figure. The message of Christianity is instead, listen to this, things are really this bad, and we can't heal it or save it ourselves. Things are really this dark, and nevertheless, there is hope. And what I read in Luke chapter 2, this Hebrew baby born in this dysfunctional time, what did the angel say? Today is born for you in the city of David. A what? A Savior. Who is Christ the what? The Lord. And that this Hebrew baby grew and conquered sin and hell and death. And this manger sort of paints this picture of Jesus as our humble king, as crazy as that sounds, as ironic as that is. And so in that, you, you see the heart of God. And, and hopefully it'll sort of allow you and I the opportunity to be vulnerable and to be open to the things of God in the same way that God was vulnerable and, and open to the way that he brought Jesus to this earth. And I don't know what you guys' Christmas seasons will look like, but as we embrace this idea of Jesus in his humble glory, that Jesus stepped into humanity for the opportunity for you and I to experience and to receive Jesus' victory, like if you haven't made the decision to follow Jesus and you feel overcome by the hopelessness of what's going on in this world around us, I want you to consider this this morning, that regardless of what's happening around you, you can actually have moments with Jesus that transcend the moments of tragedy that you experience in your life because Jesus has been given a name, Lord, which is authoritative, which is powerful. And it lets us see what it is that Jesus is like. Like we can get to know him so that we can trust him so that when we hear Jesus loves us, it's not just some words that are being spoken or something that we just read in a book that we actually understand. No, he actually does love me, and I know he loves me because I know who he is, and I know what he did for me in order to provide that love for me. It's weak when we just throw it out there like God is love. Okay, what does that mean? Who is God? Lots of people say they love me. What does it mean that God loved me? And not just God, but like what about what did Jesus do for me? And what does it mean that he was exalted, that he has the power, the name, that God exalted him, that he is the name above all names, and that every knee will bow and every tongue confess? It allows us to see who it is that Jesus is, what he's like. Would you be open enough to giving Jesus the authority in your life that you currently have yourself? And would you hand it over to him to make him Lord of your life and not you? That's really the question being asked. We're going to move into a time of communion, and I'm going to invite the worship team to come up here. But communion during this time of the year is actually so special. And these last three weeks, we've got to share in these sort of family moments, right? The first week, we spent some time praying together, and it was so sweet to just hear popcorn style, like people praying in this room. Last week, we got to share in people being baptized. Like, what an amazing work that God is doing in people's lives. Like, that was literally people bowing their knee and confessing Jesus as Lord in their life. And this morning, we have this opportunity to partake in communion. 
And when we do that, we sort of see Jesus' life flash before us. And as we see that picture being painted before us, Henry's going to come up and share communion with us this morning. But as we see Jesus' life flash before us, what we see is humility and glory. It's two things that don't make sense in the culture that we live in. Like, how can you be humble and glorified? Like, how can you go down to go up? Like, this is such a weird dichotomy. And yet, in Jesus' glory and his humility, Jesus died on the cross in your place for your sins. And it's so easy to blast through the season. Like, just to be radically honest, like, we've had a Christmas party every night this last week. And last night I was like, I'm tired. And every year we say this, you can ask our staff, why do we get to Christmas and Easter when we're celebrating this gift that Jesus is to us, but yet we feel so worn out? It seems so ironic. And most of you feel the exact same way. And this morning as Henry comes up and presents communion for us, it's an opportunity for you to acknowledge who he is and what he's done what it is you've actually partaken of so that in the midst of all the chaos going on, you can have glimpses of being in your office with a nice candle and a book and really rejoice in where God has put you and what he's done in your life because he's the name above all names. Amen? Let me pray for us. Jesus, I thank you. Thank you for the gift that you've given each one of us. I thank you, Jesus, that even as we talk about your name being above all names, God, that you being exalted, Lord, sometimes that just flies right over our heads. We've heard it so many times. It just has yet to sink in. For some of us, maybe it sunk in at some point in our life, and yet we find ourselves in a place today where we're just like, I don't want to hear it. And Jesus, I pray for this moment right now that there would just be a sweet time where your spirit would just literally flood this place that you be reminding us in this time of communion the gift that you offered us and the sacrifice that that gift took in order for us to be offered eternal life forgiveness of our sins the hope of glory so I pray this morning Jesus that there would just be really a moment of us taking this seriously not looking at this as a box to be checked, a duty to be done, a tradition to be had, but a time for us to really step back and say, who is God? What did God do? And as a result of that, can I trust that he loves me? And I thank you, Jesus, for your humble glory. I thank you that you didn't come and lord yourself over us, but you laid your life down for us. You showed us a great example of what it means to put others first. And in doing so, Jesus, you've offered us eternal life in you. And so I pray for those in this room that have never grasped onto that, have never reached out and said, Jesus, I believe that you are King of kings and Lord of lords, that you died on the cross for my sins, that you paid the price for me so that I may live, that I may have eternal life and forgiveness of my sins in you. And so, Jesus, this morning, for those in this room that have never done that, I pray you be at work in their hearts. God, this is an opportunity for them and you to do some business right now, to acknowledge you for who you are, Jesus, and ask you to come into their life. For the rest of us, let this be a sweet time for us to be reminded of how powerful the season is and not allow the busyness and the chaos 
and the stress of the season to overshadow the amazing work that you did through this baby. 